Welcome to Season 2 of Pause and Listen. Though we've recorded these episodes from home due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we're still excited to share with you three pieces of new music you can find here on the internet. I'm John Search, and I hope you enjoy our conversation and the music, whether you've heard it already, you'll be listening later, or you're going to pause and listen as we go along. Joining us this episode are Tirza Washington. She is a music educator, voice teacher, and performer based in Columbus, Ohio. Raze Cheatham is a musician, model, and music educator, and they are based in Baltimore. And Carly M. Henderson is a vocalist and makeup artist based in the Hartford area of Connecticut. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I would like to start with talking about Tirza's piece. What did you bring for us today, Tirza? So today's piece is um, Halcyon Sun by Jonathan Bailey Holland. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, Being an Ohio Buckeye girl, um, he actually, this piece was commissioned by the Cincinnati um, Symphony Orchestra back in 2003. And it also um, opened up and was um, based for the opening of the Cincinnati um, uh, Underground Railroad Museum. So um, this piece is basically um, based on what the experience could be for those who were going from um, from Kentucky into Cincinnati because the Ohio River is right is Cincinnati is basically placed on the Ohio River so that was a big jump for slaves to go from Kentucky into Cincinnati and some of the themes in the piece might give you a new way of hearing that work so if you've listened to it already you might want to go ahead and pause and listen to the piece again at the break especially if you haven't listened to the piece yet, or if you want to hear us talk about it first. Either way, we will be back after we listen to Halcyon Sun by Jonathan Bailey Holland here on Pause and Listen. In addition to that commission for Halcyon Sun, among other commissions Jonathan Bailey Holland has received from the Cincinnati Symphony, he was also their first ever composer in residence. Welcome back to Pause and Listen. We just got done listening to Halcyon Sun by Jonathan Bailey Holland. And Carly, I'd like to hear from you. What did you think of this piece? I thought it was lovely. I think the meaning behind it is incredibly moving and just deepens the understanding of the musical context. I think you really can't understand all of the emotions going through the journey of the Underground Railroad, but... I think this conveys an understanding in the context that we have. Mm -hmm. Raze? I agree with Carly, especially insofar that, you know, when it comes to especially Western, American, Western kind of thought of what slavery was like and what the Underground Railroad was like, typically narratives that center around Black people, we usually see the pain, we see the torture, we see the suffering... But in Halcyon Sun, we have an opportunity to have a curious experience with a kind of a gossamer, thin, ethereal, almost magical presence, which I just, few and far between do we actually get to witness it or listen to, I guess, a narrative like that. Um, And it was really, really kind of interesting to hear how the piece had the 
almost different sections. So kind of like starting the journey through the journey and then finally arriving, maybe not at safety, but at least at a place of rest. Yeah, kind of an orchestration of the hope and also the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, mm-hmm. the trouble that happens through the middle of the journey. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a great point um, that so many Black stories that are told in Western culture are about tragedy and suffering. And I think that touching on the light and the power and the beauty is so rare in the narrative that when you get that, it's really beautiful and it's really noticeable. It really stands out. So Mm -hmm. having that contrast to what we so often hear is so beautiful. It's such a, a welcome change. I definitely agree. I think also one thing that I think is amazing about this piece is um, I when I listen to the piece, I actually feel like I, I'm beginning to see the story like visually happening in my head at the same time. And I feel like, yes, and this, this brilliance, in this, especially in the beginning and towards the end, you have this brilliance that's happening. And I imagine that, you know, you know, whoever is running away, they're like getting this experience of like going through darkness as if coming out of this tunnel, this underground tunnel, and then finally coming into this beautiful light of what freedom is. And just, I just think it's once very good, so cinematic, but then also just so, so amazing that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is light at the end of, of pain, you know, at the Mm -hmm. end of struggle, um, through any type of journey that you go through in life, there is this moment of just, brilliance and freedom and just that ah moment and you can feel it and hear it in the music Mm -hmm. that light is almost like a persistence Mm -hmm. like it's a pervasive theme throughout it so that you feel this persistent little glimmer right and then it emerges at the end but like you have this little background shimmer in the in the whole thing where then it comes at the end and it's this beautiful fruition of all of this hint that you've been feeling the whole time. <laughs> I, I mean, a shimmer, this is like a star exploding for me. Especially, <laughs> you know, because I mean, just like Absolutely. when I was listening to it, my significant other Connie, they were like, what are you listening to? Because <laughs> it was just high and free treatment of dissonance. And suddenly there was percussive, like, almost gun, you know, elements and stuff. And I was like, what on earth are you listening to? And I was like, shh, shh, I'm trying. Right, but I just mean that that little shimmer of, of light and hope sort of pervades sure, the whole sure. thing until it comes out. Yeah. And, and the, in yeah, that explosion, absolutely. yeah. The dissonance has that too. Like, I, you know, yes. this isn't like, you know, the, it's percussive dissonance. It's... Um, it's, but it's not at the same time, it's percussive dissonance, but at the same time, it's not say like right of spring dissonance where it does have that kind of, you know, pounding of a piece Mm -hmm. like right of spring, but in the background, like I, I think this is dissonance that you can always hear consonants wanting to creep back in like trying to keep Mm -hmm. that hope alive for the journey to be successful and thinking of it in this context Mm -hmm. helps understand that so well also i was thinking about tirza i picked your your piece first because this piece is really just i think it should be in the standard repertoire of performance of american tone poems absolutely because it is a 
picture of the land that is being traversed. It's, I mean, pastoral themes are all over classical music. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think this piece should be heard a lot more often when talking (laughs) about things like that. You know, pictures, you know, this is a tone poem. This is a tone picture of America. And it's and told from the perspective, you know, talking about not wanting it to be a constant story of tragedy because there's hope involved in this story. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. the journey. And yeah, there's ugliness on that journey, but it's meant to be striving for a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And even just like the music itself, like these themes that are coming through, they feel and they sound completely individual like it's not something that's like been refurbished or reused Mm -hmm. or anything like that it is completely unique because when we talk about these pastoral themes like sometimes they kind of sound a little bit of like you know but this is just it's so different i don't know and for me it just it just sounds so black i don't know like (laughs) for whatever reason it just i just can can fully identify with it as a black woman like this is like, oh, I feel like this is home. Like I can, I can identify, I feel it, I understand it. It makes sense mm-hmm. to me, you know, and it feels like somewhere that I've been before, you know, it feels like it's beginning to be a, a type of home or even just like, man, I feel like I've been through this struggle before, but I'm getting out of it. Like it just, it just feels so familiar. And I appreciate that about this piece so much. And yes, I completely agree with you. This is something, this is a piece that needs to be done. Like, heard all the time all the time like not like oh we play it once a year like no this needs to <laughs> be February, in February, heavy rotation. it needs to be in that same copeland yeah. in, in your kitchen i'm sorry yeah that same copeland yes. vein of american yes. pastoral tradition like exactly why is this not the same like blackness has been here just as long as whiteness why can't we you know embrace that tradition no of right. composition <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to avoid talking about this in relevance to, you know, works by Aaron Copeland and all the other Sorry. You know, <laughs> the American composers. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm because <laughs> I, I, I think made, this piece it, the conversation was going there. I had to. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a, it's a helpful reference, I think, for a standard classical music listener to see this piece mm-hmm. in. You know, it, it's, I don't think it should be necessary, no. but it's definitely helpful. No, I'm just saying that I mean, since certain- you have so much of that in play, why can't this be instead? Like, why can't we Absolutely. program this right. instead of the million times we've seen Copeland? Symphony mm-hmm. of the New World. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, there are so many Black American composers from the 20th century alone, never mind the ones still currently working, from the 20th century alone, the fact that we still champion Euro- European people who came mm-hmm. to the United States to compose and then they're now part of the American repertoire. And it's like, mm. don't get me wrong, I suppose if you want to, which I don't, but if people want to persist <laughs> upon that coal melting pot narrative, I mean, power to you. But why need, you don't need a melting pot when there's already this home-cooked meal sitting right in front of you. Like, just eat. Come uh, to the table and there's eat. There's some grits like, right here. <laughs> uh, some beautiful collard greens. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I really want to remark on something that Tiaza said previously, which was that it feels, the piece feels familiar. Because I think even in its unexpected kind of tonal universe, there is that weird familiarity that isn't, right, like, 
the same thing as like a spiritual. There's no soul zila, like you know, there's like <laughs> it's、okay. like a different kind of familiarity. And when I was listening to it, I had a similar experience where I was like, okay, this isn't something I've heard before.、Mm-hmm. This isn't, and actually, thank you so much for showing me this composer because I've never heard of him before,、uh-huh. um, before this piece. And but I was just like, what is it about the essence of how this person is writing? Or the the timbral effects that they're conjuring. What is it that makes me feel like I know this so intimately?、Yeah. And I almost wonder if it was a similar like, like am I being possessed by Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida? Like, are they about to talk about <laughs> essence? <laughs> you know, like, which I hope not. But at the same time, maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, it's just so.、Uh... It's just so、mm-hmm. welcoming. At the same time, you can feel and understand the struggle about it, and I kind of feel like it's it's almost a metaphor of of blackness in America for me.、Mm. In in many cases, where there's been this this、um, welcoming, like I feel like black people, we are not the type of people to sit there and be like,、um, no, you 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 can't understand. You're not going to be welcome. But at the same time, it's It's an individual experience that you just don't get unless you are black.、Mm. But at the same time, we're not sitting there and being like, "Well, you'll never be able、right. to understand." We want you to understand. We want you to get it. We want you to not only, and even if it is as a viewer, you can you can、mm-hmm. understand it. Not that we want you to experience the exact same thing that we went through. We're not asking you to to be enslaved for four hundred years. Hello. We're not asking for for you to feel as if you know you. You have to deal with your culture being appropriated, or people not appreciating you for who you are and what you can bring to the table. We're not asking for you to experience that. We're asking for you to to see what it is and to understand to that it. our experience is real. Yeah, and to and to appreciate the fact that not only have we gone through all of the struggle, but we continue to rise above、yeah. it. Like we're not broken, we're not broken down. This music is not broken down. It's still prevailing, and it's real, and it's free, and it's there for people to experience and to understand and to it's enjoy. It's black excellence in its in its、um, essence. Literally, it's、yeah. also like that feeling of familiarity. I'm gonna make a real strange metaphor here, but it's almost like when you go to a family <laughs> reunion and you meet your new like cousins you've never met before from farther reaches of your family, and you instantly are just like, yeah, this feels like home. This feels like people. I've known my whole life. You just、mm-hmm. click and you get it because you have the same lived background, lived experience, but totally different. You come from that same diasporic measure, and when you come、mm-hmm. together, there's just a thing you get. There's like an, an it you get that comes from shared experience, but you can't put your finger on it. You can't necessarily name it, but it's a feeling of home, and it's a feeling of knowledge, and it's a feeling of shared trauma history, because we hold generations of trauma as Black people.、Um, oh, yeah, we hold it physically, we hold it mentally, we hold it emotionally, but we rise above it, as Tirza said. We continue to excel, and as we do so, and we find others who have that shared experience. There is a home base, and I think this piece really encapsulates that and gives you that indescribable feeling of, this is my family, this is my home, 
these are the experiences I know but can't put my finger on. These weren't necessarily my experiences as a slave, but these are my ancestors. These are the people who stand behind me and flank me as as the army of my ancestors behind me. These are who surround me in my weakest moments, in my joyous moments. This is the, the feeling I get of my power, my strength, my joy, my love, my sorrow. You get all of that in this without anyone having to spell it out or say it. It's a welcoming home of a piece. Yes. It is a very <laughs> welcoming piece, and I hope that it's heard more often. And now for something completely different. We're, go- <laughs> We're going to go in a completely different direction, and I'm going to turn things over to Rosé to introduce us to their piece. Thank you so much, John. You know, I have to say, this piece has, this. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have the power to introduce this piece, but I'll try my mm-hmm. best. I decided that we should all be listening to The Prelude to the Holy Presence of Joan Dark by Julius Eastman. And let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually, I came to this piece because um, Judah Adashi, a composer and musician um, who currently, I think, is still based at the Peabody Institute of Johns Hopkins University. We were programming it for a concert this past April, the Rise Baltimore uh, Beemore concert, which is kind of a celebration um, that is held on the anniversary of the death of Freddie Gray. And at first when I listened to it, I was just like, well, wait a second. Am I talented enough to do this? <laughs> like, wait a second. Um, but then when I actually tried it, I was like, okay, here we go. I think I can do this. And I mean, I hope listeners, as you go, as you come to engage this piece, if you haven't listened to it already, you kind of, you, you take at least a little bit of what I took from it because there's, <laughs> there's, there's a whole box to unpack and I can't wait to do it. Funny you should mention Judah Adashi. Listeners, be prepared for our next episode where we talk more about Judah Adashi. But right now, we're going to talk about a piece <laughs> that I very much want to sing someday, The Prelude to the Holy Presence of Joan d'Arc by Julius Eastman. If you have not yet listened to this piece, now is the time to pause as we will and listen to this and be right back. The prelude to The Holy Presence of Joan d'Arc is actually the prelude to a work called The Holy Presence of Joan d'Arc for ten cellos. Welcome back to Pause and Listen. We just got done listening to The Prelude to the Holy Presence of Joan d'Arc by Julius Eastman. And Tirza, let's start with you. What did you think? So this this piece is very uh, complex. One thing that I can appreciate about it is that um, there's no music. Like there's no accompaniment. There's, there's, there's nothing there. It's literally just the voice. And what I think is interesting about it is that even though it's just the voice, this is very, very 21st, 22nd century. Um, <laughs> and 
And I, th- I love all the space themes. Did you guys listen to the Afro House episode right? before we recorded this? <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's what's interesting about it is that there is this almost kind of anticipation. You're just kind of like, okay, so what's going to happen next? Where, where are we going? Where is this going? I don't like... It's 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 different. I won't say it's weird. It's different, but you're just kind of like I um <laughs> I don't know why I'm not stopping myself from listening to this. Like I want to keep figuring out what's going on. Like what's what's next? Is is he going to repeat himself again? Right, right. And then you're like intently listening for the words. Like what is he saying? What what is he what is he saying? Why is this, why is he, he saying said. it like this? Like, <laughs> Like, I like this. I don't know why I do, but this is kind of... Yeah. I'm still listening. <laughs> it's austere. Right. Uh, Carly, austere's... <laughs> austere's such a good word for it. Yeah. <laughs> why well, I like yes. this. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. It's cool. It's cool Dude. in a very vague way. It's like so, it's almost monk-like, but I think that fits considering how pious Joan of Arc was and her time frame and like the fact that you're talking about just saints and what they said and how simple they live and like how single-mindedly good Joan of Arc was. And like, I feel like just stripping that down to the very bare minimum of literally just his voice in a very limited to start out with range and then gigantic um, <laughs> is, is really fascinating. Um, I, I think fascinating is, is why we couldn't look mm. away. But not in a train wreck sense. No, um, no, yeah. not a train wreck. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, in a, in like a, I love watching bumblebees. I love watching them fly around and pollinate flowers and just watching them. I could watch them all day. But there's not, I find it fascinating. I think they're great. But there's not necessarily the most. Active. Yeah. Activity. It's nuanced. It's nuanced and it's really cool. But there's not a lot of. Yeah. New movement. Until there is. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to not a lot of new movement. So it's really pretty. It's not a flurry of activity. Kind of predictable in a way. Like, you know, like the bee is going to go from one flower to the next flower. To the but next then it flower. doesn't. Yeah. And then <laughs> the occasionally way, it comes near you. <laughs> the way you're describing this, it reminds me of John Cage's lecture on nothing. Like, <laughs> right now we have nothing. <laughs> Until there is something. Right. And then we'll have nothing again. Well, we I mean... enjoy that for a while. But, like, I... I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't mean this in a boring right, way. Course, I mean yeah, it in, like, a... Course. I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure quite why I enjoy this. It's a beast of a piece. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, but yeah. But... It's almost like... I'm watching something really repetitive. Like curling... And then something exciting happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I have to 
I mean, yes, all of what everyone has already said. <laughs> I have a very deep, strong love, more than appreciation, a love for this piece. And I think, um, forgive me, I think it was maybe Carly who said so, talking about Joan Duck's piety, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this, when we think prayer, when we think meditation, there's usually some kind of romantic era flourish in the piano mm -hmm. under it, or we're getting some Brahms, so, you know, we're getting that lush kind of texture. But here we get to the true essence of what it might mean to actually pray or meditate, yeah. which is when we do it, it is silent. Or, you know, you might, you might have something playing, but eventually that fades from your consciousness, yep. right? And it's just you and the voice. But curiously, this is not from Joan's perspective. Right. Right. This is some kind of an unnamed narrator who is either witnessing or who was told about Joan's experience, mm -hmm. which was simply that a few saints told her that when they question you, speak boldly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I think that this piece really speaks boldly in itself not just from its technical elements or theoretical elements, which is, you know, almost a minimalistic style of repetition. There's no accompaniment. There's no implicit musical persona. You only have the vocal protagonist speaking boldly. But if you actually take a look at the score, it says improvisation, huh. voice. And so even as you're listening, um, and for the listeners, whether or not you're listening to Julius Eastman's original recording you're listening to Devon Tynes' recording. Um, and forgive me, but there's also maybe one on YouTube of like a tenor. Um, there's a Curtis recording that I saw when I was looking for the Devon Tynes recording. I, I could, I could, that could be it, yes. Yeah. Um, no matter who is singing it, it's just like, <sighs> ah! it's just so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so powerful. And I, I will say, agree. I would definitely agree wait, with wait, you, Rosie. What were you going to say, Rosie? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to say one more thing, too, that hearing it, hearing it is one thing. But when you see the meditation, I think that's what carries so much of the visceral weight. You know, I mean, the piece on its own, of course, 10 out of 10, at least for me, 10 out of 10 stands alone. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but seeing it really kicks it into overdrive because it, it's almost that same kind of like, Reich, Cage, music as process type idea mm -hmm. where, like you said, Tiaza, this is a beast of a piece. You know, oh, yeah. like, it is It is a lot and it requires a lot of the singer to traverse these upper parts of the tessitura and then literally not in the basement, in the sub-basement. <laughs> where I live. <laughs> where John lives. Yes, John's registered. Um, and that also, to me, reflects the amount of kind of work that Joan did or had to do in order to not only remain so righteous, but to also kind of like encourage others to do so too. For sure. Take the depth of her devotion, literally. Yes. Literally depth. Yes, <laughs> the depth of her devotion, for sure. And I think also I agree with you that like when you have, um, especially something that is like 21st century, as a performer, as a vocalist, as a singer, it's, it's something when you're listening to a piece, it's, a completely different story when you then perform the piece. Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. there are parts of you that you now have to identify with the piece in order for it to 
happen. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. this, like, so glad this is not a soprano piece because that, <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, any, just listening to the, the over and over and over I think again. There are quarter I'm like, tones written to the score there. Yes. It's, it's, it's crazy, like, crazy in a good sense. It's really, you, you have to be like a monster to be able to, to do this piece because vocally, I know that is taxing. Yeah. That is so taxing and to, for it to repeat over and over and over again. And then also, let's not even get into memorizing the piece. I mean, like... How many times <laughs> you want to repeat the same words? I don't remember. Wait, I can't like, count did, that high. How many times? Wait. Where I am I? I lost this count. Ready? Um, like, wait a minute. No, I need to go back. Wait, where am I going? I don't know what I'm doing. Well, like, literally to be fair. Piecing the piece together. Like... <laughs> To be fair, Devon Tynes is singing from a score in the recording on YouTube. With the score. So, yeah. fair. Yeah, and but even I still, Juba, like, wait, yeah. did I turn did I do this one already? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, what? This, is this page one or is this page three? Daggone it! Literally. I don't know where I am. <laughs> oh my god! I wish I could show you, like, I wish I could show it to you right now, but I only have it digitally because um, it's like the Devon Tynes' transcription. Instead of having, so it gives you the musical thing. The musical gesture, right? Mm-hmm. Staff, notes, rhythms, bar lines. But when it comes to the Joan, that part, rather than going like E, E flat, E, E flat, it's like a binary code situation oh. where it's Joan, one, zero, one, zero, one, own. Um, and then it's cool. zero, one, zero, one, zero, one. And then it's one, oh, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, zero, one, one, zero, one. That's cool. So it's like, no, no. <laughs> that's really awesome. Kind of, I'm good. <laughs> Because, I mean, seriously, even when I was doing it, I was like, okay, keeping my finger. (laughs) (laughs) Until I realized, oh, wait a second. Actually, to be honest, it doesn't even really matter how many times I do it. Because I remembered it's an improvisation for voice. Fair enough. So, you know. And even, like, um, when you listen to it, like, if you listen to it again, you'll notice that in the original Joe, that's written, uh, I guess, what, E flat 4. E and E flat 4. But when it comes to the vocal improvisation, both Julius and even Devon, they go down the octave yeah. when they feel like it, simply because it's like, well, wait a second, I have a lot more left to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't just be, oh, I love it. this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, that's, that is, that is, that is monster-like. Like, I just, I don't know how else to explain it. That is, that is monster. And it's just... <laughs> It's it's amazing that people can can vocally accomplish it, mm-hmm. but then also to I think and I don't know if you guys can agree with me, but as a singer, I feel like improvisation, especially in classical music, is one of the most difficult things to do mm-hmm. because <laughs> I, I I have a jazz background though, so like don't have, don't come for me. <laughs> but I feel like there's there's a there's a um, an obligation on your shoulders to not only make this piece different from everybody else, but to still keep the integrity of the piece and not completely mm-hmm. like, oh, they improv, but they did way too much. Yeah. Or, oh, you improv, but you didn't do enough type thing. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. but then also, once again, like I said before, taking this piece and internalizing it and making it your own For and sure. putting your own spin to it. There's just, there's a lot of factors that go into, especially 21st pieces, like, you know, like 21st century pieces, excuse me. Like, uh, you know, everybody sings Mozart at one point in time in their lives, and it's pretty much the same thing over and over again. But, yeah. like, but even with that, like, you get, like, every single person sings Mozart differently. Mm-hmm. Like, right. with Mozart, everyone sings it differently. 
Like, right. there are and no two like, people who say maybe two or three recordings of a new song, and you're just like, oh, okay. But I yeah, can eventually be that person that's on YouTube that is like the tracker, <laughs> and people are right. actually watching me sing this song, and it's inti- intimidating. <laughs> new song cycles and new songs, you're like, oh shit, I could be the reference. Yeah. <laughs> right, I could be the reference, and if I don't do it right, then everybody's gonna do it wrong. Right, it's funny you make Tears, it's funny you make the correction about 21st century because this is a 20th century piece. Because, you know, Ah, the reason uh why, so normally I wouldn't include um, a dead composer on this podcast, but I think if (laughs) Julius Eastman were alive, he would be a a big part of new music today. So that's why I I make an exception for him. And this piece is like, what, from 1981? Yeah, 81. Yeah. So, oh, that's barely 20th century. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the Jackson Five. It's older than me. I right? mean, it's 20 years. Um, it's fine. It's 21st. It's older than me, and I'm older than all of you. So, <laughs> are you older than me, Carly? Yes. Yes. Uh-oh. Um, I'm, th- I'm 31. So, okay. Well, I just want to circle back to something Rose had mentioned. Um, in that prayer-like quality, there's a stillness and there's a silence that comes with that individual prayer moment. And I think that's a really good thing you touched on. Um, and also the fact that it is a narration of Joan's struggle and Joan's power. Yeah. And I think there is such a power in stillness and such a bravery in silence mm-hmm. that I think this piece really catch- captures. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of why it's so fascinating and part of why you can't look away. When someone is having, like, when Joan of Arc is set on fire, you can't look away. Yeah. When someone is having that brave, silent, powerful stillness, it's impossible to look away from them. And it's impossible to let them go without witnessing. Absolutely. I think this is a witnessing. And I think it's, it's important to have someone witnessed this in that way. Especially because Julius, quite famously, did not care what people thought and put all of himself into his work. That is his identity as a black man, as a gay man. Yeah. And, you know, I think that your comment really speaks to, you can't look away from this piece, just like I'm not going to let you look away from me. Yes. Right. Um, And just as John was saying, poor, I mean, poor Julius Eastman, where he's still alive... He truly would be one of the probably central, most prominent figures of new music. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. If not only because his thematic kind of conceptions of things were so in your face. It's bold. (laughs) It's bold and it's striking. Yeah, Mm -hmm. especially for like, you know, the stereotypical, now proverbial white audience. Yes. Uh, So that's very poignant. And then, you know, I, I just... I love me. Oh, the glass is coming off, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I can't like, do that. Holly, I'd be blind. <laughs> you also made another point, which was like the silence. Mm-hmm. We get it. Beethoven invented silence. We get it. Fine. <laughs> but he does not have a monopoly on oh, silence. No. Like, Absolutely not. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know. And in and all honesty, is, he doesn't even use it in nearly the same way as a lot of modern composers do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Know, you know, and so I, I, I just, you feel like with silence, uh, you want to pull in. There's like this this pull in to more. Like even if I were to like stop talking, just like that, you're like, wait, 
is something wrong? What's going on? <laughs> the anticipation builds. Like you're expecting for something big to happen after that silence, or yeah. it's it's so unexpected that you're really pulled in more. Like you know, if if somebody were to pause your music and you're like, wait, why did you stop my music? Like when why, when someone stops music What's at wrong? a party. When someone silences right, music right. at the party, that everything record, stops. That record, that, uh, when everything stops, you're just like, wait, when you're wait in negotiations, it. silence is a power move. Oh yes, like silence is such a powerful thing. Silence. Sorry, I think I said science. Same thing. <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, but silence is such a powerful thing that, like, it stops. It makes everyone stop, stand still, and watch. And that's especially and clear come to you. in the actual improvisation. Insofar that you'll notice that even with these re- uh, repetitious lines, after the saint, Michael said, sometimes they go right into she said, they said, we said, or they'll have like a pause of an undetermined length. And sometimes that pause will be this big, this big, this big, this big, like it changes. Mm-hmm. And that's the powerful sensitivity that hopefully <laughs> when I, because of course my kind of work with this piece was, We'll say postponed due to COVID-19. <laughs> <Right. But laughs> that's what I was trying to kind of tap into. Because with such a simple text, it's the text is one line. It's literally one line over, depending on who does it, over 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And it's precisely because how do you use the silences? Yeah. How do you navigate the differences or the uh, transitions between the A material, the B material, and I think it goes from like A to G or H. Something like that. couple letters. <laughs> um, so it's quite long and it's a lot to navigate, especially when you're bringing it back. So I'm just, I'm glad. I, I was kind of nervous because I know sometimes people aren't always receptive to quote unquote new music, but I'm, I'm really glad uh, that everyone liked it so much. <laughs> yeah, it's a great piece. It's definitely a different piece. Like mm-hmm. it's not something I would seek out on my own. Mm-hmm. But right. Right. It's something that when programmed, I would definitely stop and listen and pay attention to. And it makes you think. Like, it's one of those yeah. kind of like, hmm. Like, if you really begin to delve into, like, well, why did the composer write it this way? Mm-hmm. What is the importance of what the, the singer is saying right here? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Why is that pause there? Like, it really, it makes you think. It makes you listen. It makes you cognizant of what's actually mm-hmm. happening in the piece. Or the, like, what's it, coming next? Right. I'm reeled in from this anticipation. You brought me toward you. You pulled me closer. Mm -hmm. What's next? Very good question. Yeah. A very apt piece for the title of this podcast. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Rosie, you said you had a question. Yes. So, like, what? Okay, so when people think of music, right? Capital M, music. (laughs) 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 Uh, They think of a certain thing. And one thing that I've I've been trying to kind of ask myself, at least in my practice of this piece, is this music? And before the obvious, like, yes, uh, so much of music can also be performance art, if that makes sense. Got you, yeah. And I was actually having a discussion with a colleague who felt very strongly that this was not music. And I wonder if it's like, do we give... What is more powerful to say, actually... We can write down notes and make sounds with instruments and say, these are sounds, but it's not music. Or is it to say that we can liberate all sounds and say that any sound can be music? And so each time, like, I, I generally arrive at the other, which is all things can be music. 
But I'm, I'm interested, in, I guess, in kind of what you all think. Well, that's actually a really great question. And I think my first reaction was music is prayer for me. Music is prayer. Music is how I pray. Music is how I connect to my spirituality mm-hmm. in which this is a prayer. This is absolutely a prayer. So for me, if you follow that logic, this is absolutely music. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tiaza? I think, um, okay, so this is going to seem weird. So my husband likes to do models. We were watching this YouTube video of this person like putting the model together. But not only were they putting the model together, they were cutting the pieces out of the model and they were literally cutting the pieces and you could hear the rhythm and they were doing it to a rhythm. So you just hear this and it becomes rhythmic. And and then all of a sudden I started hearing this like little random music in my head to these sounds. So for me, and then also like just thinking about like, um, I went to Oakwood University. Yes, shameless plug, HBCU, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Um, Yeah, whoop, whoop. I went to Oakwood University. And one of the things that our teachers would have us do is they would, the lights would buzz, like lights do. And then we would hear the buzzing and the teacher would be like, okay, what note is that? And we're all like going in our heads, like trying to think, find A, find A. Okay, then go up (laughs) half step, go down, like figure out until you find it. And you're like, oh, B flat. And everyone's like, play B fat, bing, and it's literally the same note. So I feel like with with performative art, with sounds, sounds can become music. Like something as simple as hearing your um, your faucet, hearing drops from your faucet. There's a, ryth- there's a rhythm that comes with it. It's not planned, but th- it is rhythmic, and it can become music. And then you can begin to hear notes and hear pitches to that, that randomness that happens. And I feel like with music, whether it's planned, whether it's not planned, I mean, you, you can hear music, you can hear it in, in almost anything. So even in noise, even in random noise, we talk about dissonance and, and cacophony and all of these things. They are, they are I won't say they're ploys. Let me figure, figure out another way to say it. They, they, are, um, they are facets of music that, that are used to make a point. And I think it's, so yes, I feel like any sound, any noise, any combination of things can be made music. Now, whether you like it or not, that's, that's on you. And whether you agree exactly. with me or not, that's on you as well. But I truly think with, especially with COVID, how everything kind of just like stopped, I had to find ways, I had to find other sounds that could soothe and that could be music for me. Like something as simple as, having that fan on and you hear that and that stillness there there's music playing there it might not seem like it for for those who are untrained ear or whatever but there's music there's sound there's something that's happening there and if you tap into it you can write a piece from it just from a fan wearing i think it's funny you mentioned that because i have ocd and part of that becomes that i have repetitive body sounds and repetitive counting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I start like clicking my teeth when I'm doing things in rhythm, like, and like, I can't stop. So if other mm-hmm. things are going, I start playing along to them in my head, or I start like moving my body along to them in my head or my body. And I 
don't always notice I'm doing it until I do. And it's obsessive, obviously, and it's compulsive, and I can't really stop doing it. <laughs> but um, it it takes the form of music in a lot of ways. Like, my OCD takes the form of music in many ways. Like, mm-hmm. I'll start counting in, like, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, like, over and over. Or sometimes it'll switch to a six, eight, or sometimes it'll, like, it just happens. And this is all day, every day, so it's exhausting. But I think you make an excellent point that everyday items create music Mm -hmm. in our bodies, create music in our lives. And I think on that vein, anything can be music, even random sounds and random noises around you. I mean, because honestly, for me, what music is, is just a collection of sounds put together Mm -hmm. and to create music. You hear a car alarm going off, you start harmonizing with it. I don't know anybody else who does it. Or or noticing that different car car alarms have different pitches. Yes. Or a cluster of pitches. literally... And then you cry. Or a cluster (laughs) of pitches. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just, it's, I think as, as musicians, because I say this all the time, instrumentalists are musicians vocalists are musicians Mm -hmm. period end of story as a musician as somebody who who manipulates music manipulates notes with my voice I I can identify sound as being music whether it's you know feedback from a from a mic everybody hates that like I don't know who literally is excited to hear your mic feedback no one (laughs) but but still at the end of the day like that can be used. That can be used as music. It, it is literally tones and pitches that are put together that can be annoying or that can actually influence something. So for me, I feel like whether it's performative art or not, if it moves you, it's music. Talking about mic feedback, I mean, the sound that it makes <laughs> when you have like a really good mic and really big speakers and it's like oh, low yeah. subsonic feedback and it sounds Ooh, so cool that, and you feel your body rattle if it. you listen to it. Ooh, yeah. I just think that's so incredibly that's cool. I, I once did that <laughs> at my old college radio station and the general manager mm-hmm. or walks into the studio and is like, are you creating intentional feedback? Stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, on another thing, uh, you know, I'm in the, you know, anything can be music crowd. Um, and I want to, Seems like we all yeah, and I want to point to something that Tirza said about something being soothing, that something that can be, anything can be soothing and that by way of being music can be soothing. And I want to have a conversation about what music can be soothing, but I want to start it by going to our easily most soothing piece of our show, and it's our last one. And Carly, why don't you uh, tell us about that? Sure. The piece I've brought with me today is Sometimes I Cry by Jasmine Barnes, a Baltimore, Maryland-based composer who is very young. She went to Morgan State and has a bachelor's in vocal performance and a master's in composition. So she's also a singer, um, a very accomplished soprano. And She's premiered works all over the place, including with Symphony Number no. 1 in Baltimore, which I believe you are all familiar with. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, she is incredibly talented. If you, She has a number of pieces of hers on her website that are just... Wow. But, and the arrangements alone. Are, yeah, she has yeah. arrangements of traditional wow. pieces that are just incredible. She did an arrangement of Rock With You, acapella, that's just like so cool. But um, the, the one I picked today was... Um, Sometimes I cry with text by Tupac Shakur. 
It's a beautiful, on the surface, it's a traditional choral acapella piece. When you delve deeper into it, it's got elements of a number of different styles, including spirituals, including contemporary choral pieces, including, you know, traditional choral pieces and traditional classical music. But choosing a text like one from Tupac is a bold move. It's a, especially by a young black woman mm-hmm. in a white male dominated field. So I wanted to get into this piece. I think it's gorgeous. I think the way she wrote it is just really beautiful. There are some intricate moving harmonies and there are just some really beautiful moments in it. But also I think the reasons she chose the text and the reasons she went into like the, like the way the whole thing is just put together is just beautiful in a way that's unexpected. And it's a so, quick one. So Yeah, it's only a couple minutes. But with those thoughts, you might want to listen to it multiple times, and it still yeah. won't take that much time. So however long it takes you to pause and listen to this piece, whether or not you're going to do that, we will be back varying degrees of shortly here on Pause and Listen. Jasmine Barnes was the first ever composition major at Morgan State University and therefore had her pieces performed by her colleagues at the school and musicians around Baltimore. Welcome back to Pause and Listen. We just got done listening to Sometimes I Cry by Jasmine Barnes, text by Tupac Shakur. Raze, start us off. Okay, so you know you know how like in the Bible you have like the very scary angels yeah. with like five eyes and seven heads and stuff? The seraphim. That, <laughs> that little isolated piece of heaven where the voices are moving in those three parts, I imagine that's what it would yeah. sound like if an angel spoke to you. Mm. Like whatever timbre and color that was, that's what angels sound like. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, absolutely phenomenal part writing. And that tonality mm. there too. Yes. It's, oh, right. Oh my, god, yes. oh my goodness. Because I think like, you know, especially when the piece begins, you're like, okay, we got we got some choral part writing, right? Mm-hmm. We see elements of Bach. I mean, she voice leading on fleek, like <laughs> yes. we love to see it. But it's like as the piece goes on, it moves further and further away from traditional composition mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. writing, part writing. Uh, and I love seeing that unfolding. And then at the end, it doesn't go back. Like it doesn't like fold itself back neatly. Mm-hmm. It stays unfolded. Right. Which, you know, especially for like choral pieces, you don't really see that often. So I absolutely love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I completely agree. I think for me, what... um what I find really fascinating about this is that um, I truly believe choral pieces are just orchestration with mm-hmm. voices, with words. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's really, for me, all, all choral music is. Well, not like all. <laughs> that's not it. But y'all know what I'm saying. <laughs> you have this moment where you're, you're, you're putting these, these, these instruments into these voices. So, like, you can hear the, the, the essence of what strings would sound like, what... Um, the horns would sound like the woodwinds, all of that put together with just voices. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. But what I think is powerful about this is it's, it's Tupac's lyrics. Like what? 
like Tupac, what? Shakur, like the Tupac, like the one and only, the one that everybody one thinks might be dead, but actually isn't dead <laughs> just to try to figure out how to make that work. That Tupac, like, but how she ends it and literally the words are, sometimes I cry. And that's how the song mm-hmm. ends. Like, it's not, there's no resolution. There's no, you know, happy place. It's sometimes I cry. And I love that. And how she ends it with the dissonance. It's just. Because they're. There it's doesn't perfect. need to be a resolution because crying is okay. Right. Because you need right. that release. Yes. And I think the whole, with the text, she works so beautifully pairing the text with these smooth but dissonant places that allow you to mm-hmm. realize and compare. They compare the, the inner struggle of like needing to cry and be alone and no, feeling like nobody cares. Yes. And that's okay. Like she leaves it open-ended mm-hmm. and like, it re- like it doesn't resolve, but it's beautiful. Or alternately, one person's resolution sounds different than another's, and that's okay too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's, yes. Yeah, that's the kind mm-hmm. of field I was speaking of, because like you know, we 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 often hear a do mi so ti, like, and that's fine, mm-hmm. right? But like that that was getting some bitonality. Yes, <laughs> the mm. leading tone from one key was actually the do of the other key. Yes. And it was just like whoa, I love this. I love this free treatment of distance. <laughs> and can we talk about that that gorgeous middle section for a second? Yes. Yes, please do. Can we just talk about <laughs> like what <laughs> even? How do you how do you come up with oh, that? Love it. Like, Out of this nowhere. is this is the part this is the part that made me say this is the piece. <laughs> so I don't even know how to describe what she did, part writing wise. Like, <laughs> I've never heard that before. And it just resonated so clearly between all of the voices mm-hmm. and gave this sense of inner turmoil, but like smooth on the surface. So with the lyrics being what they are, feeling that internal struggle and feeling that pain, but not having anyone see it on the outside. Yeah. And I thought it translated so beautifully to how she put it in the parts. But not only that, using the text to really create this um, idea of what she's doing, like, especially like I, I pulled up the actual poem because I was like, oh, I need to I need to get the ear feel <laughs> and I need to get yeah. the words and right. hear it and see it at the same time. <laughs> and especially when she gets to the quick moving part, the world moves fast and it would rather pass by. I was like, oh, she's using the words to like create this, 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 this chalarando that's happening in the actual voices. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's amazing how she uses the text, not only as, um, she uses it as a beacon into what she's doing with the music. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a beautiful pairing. It's like, you know, sometimes like when you have this text, you have this idea of what, oh, this is how the text is supposed to sound. And I feel like she yeah. does use that, the the instance of, okay, well, the world moves fast and passes by. Like, okay, so that means mm-hmm. maybe I should make this move along. But then she takes that, uh, the, the simplicity of like, oh, let, let's make sure the music and the lyrics match into this mm-hmm. part of where it becomes completely unpredictable when we get to the ending mm-hmm. of the song. And then, of course, the dissonance at the very, very end. For sometimes I cry. It's just, it's perfect. She makes it predictable, but then at the end, it's still unpredictable because you don't really know what's coming next. Like, I just want to listen to the piece like five more times just to be like, oh, I remember this part exactly. Like, it just, you, you want to delve into it. You want to make it feel like, oh, like there's just this, this, this 
this recognition of the piece that you just want to be able to hold on to and to keep to yourself. Like, it's just mm-hmm. so good. <laughs> and to talk about, like, yeah. using that section, but who do you know that stops that long to help another carry on? To use that mm. text for mm-hmm. the out-of-nowhere section in the middle. Yeah. Because, and that's the idea, right? It's that who who does that? Who does that anymore mm-hmm. that cares enough to... I mean, I would hope that that's the case for a lot of people. But, you know, it's it might seem, if you're in that place, that nobody mm-hmm. stops that long to help somebody keep going. Yep. And mm-hmm. so it becomes this nebulous space that... Angels live in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That it seems like only an angel can bring one out of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, necess- I don't necessarily ascribe to a particular spiritual ideal. Mm-hmm. But so when I talk about the spiritual essence of this piece, I, I'm more so referring to its otherworldly quality. Um, because even in the, you know, more, again, Baccarat, clear part writing instances, there's still so much... I don't know, feeling. Mm. That's such like a cop-out, but this is so much feeling, you know? <laughs> but I think with, and, with that kind of going on with your, the Bach idea, it feels more like a spiritual. I don't I don't know. It just... Exactly. It yeah. This no, essence, no, it does. This tonality, the, harm, the harmony, it just feels more spiritual to me than it does even Bach. I don't know. It's, exactly. No, no, no. Yeah, it, no it, it does absolutely. Because you're having like the, element to it. Yeah. yeah, you have like the... like. I mean, traditional, like, freaking part writing, you know, one, four, five, one, but right. switched up with that spiritual. We're getting minor four. Yes. We're getting major six. Yes. We're getting that raised leading tone. Yes. Like, and an otherwise yes. flat key. Like, it's those, like, theoretical elements that are used so tastefully mm-hmm. that yes. elevate it from just, like, because, like, in the beginning, now they're going to hold you. It's like, okay, another spiritual. But then it's like, wait, no, it's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, it's That's not. exactly what I thought. I was like, okay, this is just going to be a cute little, like, right. spiritual, spiritual piece. choral piece. And then I was like, oh, wait, hold on. There's more to this. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Um, and, yeah, and, like, saying- and that's why when I introduced it, I said, on the surface, mm-hmm. it is a standard choral piece. Right. Yeah. And then you dig in. Yeah. And just as you were saying earlier about using uh, Tupac's text, right? The world, or I, I hope I should hope the world, uh, the world knows Tupac's voice, yes. mm-hmm. knows Tupac's life, pain, yes. struggles. Um, humble brag, I went to Baltimore School for the Arts Woo-hoo. when he went briefly. Eh. <laughs> hey, BSA. Um, uh, so some of us even literally know what books and what tables he said. Yep. But... Like, to know his voice, right, quote-unquote voice, in mm-hmm. a, in the hands of someone else, mm-hmm. someone who may or, and I, of course, I don't know Jasmine personally, but as <clears throat> a black person, I can imagine <laughs> has gone through some similar things, um, just kind of being able to speak to that, which we were talking about earlier, that essence, yeah. and mm-hmm. being able to tap into that ancestral astral plane of otherness. Yeah. I just think it's such a phenomenal talent to have. As you touched on Tupac's voice, I think people sleep on the fact that Tupac's poetry is stunning. Yes. The poetry. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a rap that she used. It was his poetry, like his literal. I mean, his poetry is yeah. next level. Mm-hmm. 
His poetry is next level, and people forget that because it's Tupac. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you choose a text that is something that is overlooked in that way, I think that's another level of that deceptively simple, deceptively young or black thing. Especially from the point of view of a... I'm putting this in finger quotes, standard classical music audience yes. that yes. would probably have those preconceptions mm-hmm. of Absolutely. a work that is by a black composer using the poetry of a rapper, you know. Yeah, and as far as bias goes, mm-hmm. she's not just a black composer. She is a young black composer, yeah. and she is a young female, female black yep. composer. Mm-hmm. So she's got all of these things working against her like she's with all of these things that are preconceived and then she comes out with that right (laughs) i think what i what i really appreciate about the piece even more is um from the the few years that i had in baltimore um being going to the um, peabody institute um at johns hopkins but um this sounds like baltimore to me it feels yeah. it feels like Baltimore. It 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 brings this like I loved my time in Baltimore. Honestly, if I could move back, yeah. I would. My husband <laughs> already knows this. If if I get the opportunity, <laughs> we are moving back to Baltimore. But it just it it brings this this feeling and this understanding of what it's like to live in Baltimore. And I feel like there is this there's this comfort, there is this uneasiness, there is this um pain but there is still there there's 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 moments of joy that are all in this piece that just kind of remind me of what it was like to live in Baltimore and I mean for her having gone to Morgan State and um, using Tupac's Tupac's um, poetry and just building these these colors that I hear or these colors that I see when I'm listening to this piece it just I don't know it just it just reminds me of Baltimore so much and I think it's (laughs) it's appropriate that she uses the, his text that she uses an essence of almost where he comes from and where she studied to to make this piece come alive. I don't know. I just I'm, maybe I'm thinking too much or trying to equate no. too much to it, but it just, Jesus, it just I, feels like Baltimore. I don't I don't know. I don't know how else to explain Jesus, it. I'm totally with you on that. Like having also lived in Baltimore to go to Peabody for five years, I I feel that absolutely. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh my goodness, yeah. yes. Because there's that 3D, multifaceted life mm-hmm. that's right there in that piece. It's right there in the music. It's, it's everything, joy and pain and life and sadness yep. and stillness and energy and all of the things that Baltimore represents in its uniqueness that I think she just encapsulates and having, you know... Tupac's text and her lived experience in Baltimore right. and all of that. I think it's impossible to escape that that comparison. It feels like home. Yeah. Yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> We're coming back to that. We're all home today. <laughs> <laughs> Having recorded this from home. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Which, as a disclaimer, I promise, listeners, we did not discuss our pieces with each other before. We did not. We did not. <laughs> It just so happens that clearly home is on the mind. Where do you feel comfortable? Where do you feel safe? Especially with quarantine. I think we're all, you know, relying on home and our feelings of home for safety and comfort. And 
normalcy at this yes, point. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. As abnormal as the world is. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was great to talk with the three of you about this music. I hope that you listeners will enjoy listening to these pieces again, because these are clearly works of music that take more than one listen to really fully digest, to fully wrap your mind around. Tirza, Raze, Carly, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our panel this episode was Tirza Washington, Raze Cheatham, and Carly M. Henderson. You can see more information about them and more music recommendations in the show notes. Our co-creator and marketing manager is Michelle Mengel-Search. I'm John Search, the creator, host, and producer, inviting you to join us for three more pieces of new music on the internet next time on Pause and Listen.